Hello everyone, it's me Francisco and welcome to another episode of the weekly podcast David and Goliath, the podcast that motivates you for the rest of the week. Charles Duhigg, author of the best-selling book The Power of Habit, says that an habit, to be an habit, takes 18 months to be fully rooted in our subconscious. The brain needs to know that habit will bring out some kind of pleasure, a reward, if I may say so. This reward could be emotional, but also food or drugs that gives a physical feeling. And through repetition during a period of time, the brain will start using this new habit in autopilot. In scientific terms, the habit goes and stored into the basal ganglia instead of being on your cortex and so you can carry out these activities without even thinking like Ray Dalio explains in principles a good example of an habit is running after running the brain releases a cocktail of hormones endorphin serotonin dopamine and oxytocin and you feel relaxed and happy if you like running or doing some kind of physical exercise in the early morning, you feel great and with the full of energy throughout the day. Imagine that you are doing daily and you didn't go running in a particular day. You'll miss a lot, in terms of physical ones. An example of a bad habit could be drinking. It gives you relax and pleasure during a period of time. After goes away the effect of alcohol in, in your system, the hangover and the bad feeling will kick in. Summing to this, it will give you bad consequences for your physical body. But the feeling of pleasure that appears during, during drinking in the beginning is a big reward for some people. It helps them to erase the present and for a period of time having fun. That's what happened to our David of today's episode. Carlos worked for 25 years in a morgue of a one hospital in Portugal. One of his duties was to bring the, de the dead bodies and place them in the freezer, waiting for the family to say their final farewell or waiting for authorization to place in a coffin for his funeral. In a sub subconscious level of the mind, the depression and hurt would start to appear without him noticing. A couple months later, he would start drinking every day, at the same hour, in the mortuary, with his work companions. He recalls, it was like drinking in the pub, like normal people do after work. We had so much laugh, until one day. But you know that we are talking about heroes in the, this podcast. And Carlos used his drinking problem not only for helping his community, to have a better understanding of what was his life for the 25 years in the place but also to help others who are helpless facing the alcohol and the emotions. This is the David and Goliath podcast and I will tell you real stories from normal people who had great mighty wars and defeated their giants. Carlos was born in 27 of August 1972 in a Portuguese city. He was the youngest one of three brothers. He was a normal kid 
with a normal family. And beyond here, I will start to read to you what Carlos said to me in the past two weeks. My father worked in a construction. My mother worked at home, carrying out all of us. Every day at 7am, my father went out to work and me and my brothers to school. When I arrived at home, coming from school, around after lunch, I threw up my bag and went to the streets to play with my friends. Most of the time we played football. On Sundays, we went to church, dressed up with my best clothes. My family was a very religious one. Always before the meals, we had to pray, thanking God and all the saints for us to have food and health. If I missed this, I was in a serious problem. Then got around the table, full of food, and having our one-time-per-week family lunch, which it didn't happen during the week because all of us had different schedules. On Saturdays, I helped my mom with the cleaning of our house. Also in this day, were the day for me to focus, well, more or less, on school homeworks. I tried to make them all in this day, and then staying free during the week to play with my friends. Still today, I don't know how I get to the ninth grade of school and graduated. Still a mystery for me. Yes, I failed a few years at school, but I got until the end. Most likely because my father was a very strict with us. He wanted us to study. We had to reach the end. It didn't matter how many years, but it had to come to an end. Otherwise, he would get a pretty big beating. In fact, my father was very strict with one. He used to tell me that men don't cry and that we had to endure and face everything that life threw our way. Men don't cry. And that's why I became a very close person when it came to emotions. I would like to continue studying, but we were four kids to feed and dressed, but the only income resource was coming from my dad's job the money to stretch and it had to last for the rest of the month. I was 17 years old when I finished school and in that summer I started to look for jobs. A friend of mine said that the hospital was hiring people to work in the morgue and the salary was quite good. Apparently the oldest guy who worked there retired and suddenly there was no one working that place, only the chief responsible of that morgue. I considered myself an intelligent guy, well, not Einstein, but with a good common sense of life for a young kid at that time. I was interviewed by the chief whose name was Andre. Other guy than me probably had more 30 years than me, I would think. An average guy for Portuguese middle-aged man, I thought. But what I found out that he had, at the time, only 37 years old. Who would imagine that we would become one of my closest friends for the next 25 years? So I went to the interview and got a job. I would start working next Monday. Me and three other guys. I was the youngest one, again. So... Monday arrived. Carlos remembers this story. It was July of 1989. 
This was the first summer that I would not play with my friends or going to the river to have a swim. On the recent years, flirting with girls at evening, that's also over. That year I remember that summer was quite hot. Back then, having air conditioning was a luxury and all of my friends were struggling with the high temperatures. But I was lucky guy. I was going to work in one of the coldest areas of the hospital. This job was for the normal days, but two times per month I would work on weekends, having day off on the next Monday or Thursday. Sometimes I had to work also during the night, but those cases were exceptional. Nevertheless, I was informed during the day. It depends on the production, used to say my chief. I arrived at 8.30, like was established, and my first duty was to organize the towel and wipe cabinets. There were around 15 cabinets to work in. It took all day long. By the end of the day, I called Andre for his approval and, of course, everything was well so organized according to his guidance. He said to me, tomorrow I will teach you how to work in a dead body. And I thought, working on dead body? What does he mean by that? I wasn't at that time an anxious guy, so I leave the thought behind and went home. Tomorrow I will see how I manage the thing. The next day I arrived and saw a dead body on a ta- on the top of a table, ready to work on. My supervisor called me and said, I will going to teach you to prepare a corp to go to a coffin. It's a simple and easy, no need special skills needed. I could not describe what I felt, but I can assure you that adrenaline start kicking. I was shaking inside in that moment. I remember my father, man don't cry. The dead body was an old guy lying in a steel bed, completely naked. His nails were starting to get black. The grey color was starting to be his normal color of his skin. His face said to me, maybe, he died peacefully, I don't know, I only imagine. He had a card hanging out on his feet, saying the day of his death and the day was established for him to bury it. My boss turned to me and said, I know what you are thinking, but put those thoughts aside. You need to work on this and those emotions will only interfere with your performance, so let loose. The first thing to do was to lift up the dead body with the help of a crane and putting it inside of a coffin. In this case, a light brown coffin. I help him put in some straps, straps like ropes, you know, around the chest, head, hips and feet. This way the body was lifted up and was level. He taught me how to put the strap on the head and so that it wouldn't slip off. He taught me also how to use the crane and how to position the coffin so that the corpse was placed correctly inside it. And yes, the corpse was naked. You only dress him up after he is inside of the coffin, said Andre. The family handed over a dark blue suit with the white stripes, a red tie, brown shoes and white socks. I thought to myself that 
he, it was the dress code he liked the most. I started to put the socks. Then my boss called me and showed me how he ripped his clothes so that we could dress him without having to lift him up. This way we avoided anything unpleasant that could happen to the body of the corpse. The unpleasant things I found out years later and what he meant by that. My boss taught me how to open the suit jacket from behind and then his shirt too. The same for the pants, which was more complicated for me to do. I grabbed the t-shirt and put it on the corp. Very carefully, I lift up his hands and dress his shirt. Then was his pants and his red tie. Also, when he got entered in the hospital, the medical staff took out his wedding ring, which was delivered to us afterward. I grabbed his left ring finger and gently placed his wedding ring. Andre asked me to comb his hair, which I did, and that's it. It made me wonder what his life was like, his youth, his wedding day, the day his children were born and what his last days of life might have been like and did not realize that I was doing some, something my chief not said not to do bring my emotions to the job I took one morning to do it and I was so completely drained out with no energy and I still have the afternoon Andre noticed that I was touched and with the thought voice remembers me again Leave the feelings out. I don't want to see that again here in my in my morgue. Never again. So I went I went out, asked for a cigarette, and I smoked it in one go. I was about to resign, but then I remembered the money I was going to receive by the end of the day. And that it was a lot of money, and I never had it in my possession. So I had to stop bringing, being a crying baby and carry on. And also, men don't cry. And so I did it in the afternoon. I dressed up another corpse, almost by myself, only with the help of my chief for the pants. Andre came to me and said, go home, for today is all. You were a very tough guy, and tough guys is what I want beside me. See you tomorrow. And suddenly he slams his office door in my face. I dressed my clothes and moved on to my parents' house. That day I remember when I arrived, I threw up what I had in the stomach, went to bed and all the ima images that I had in my memory was the face of the old man. I tried to put aside, but I could not do it. I fell asleep and woke up next morning fresh again with a clear memory and went to work. Time passed, and in addiction to dressing corpse, I also cleaned those that came from an operation room, full of bruises and blood, so that they could be seen by the family and also prepare for them burial. Until one day, for the first time, a six-year-old girl came to me, a victim of being run over by a car. The bruises on her arms were still visible. Almost certainly that she had broken arms and a large, enormous wound on her skull that happened 
to be sutured by the doctor during the autopsy. She was blonde and so very beautiful young girl. In a hidden way, I asked my boss to go to the bathroom. I couldn't stand it and threw up again all my breakfast. Then I left myself full and when I felt the crying and pain seemed to came from my chest, I got up, threw water in my face and went. But when I arrived at the morgue to start dressing her, her parents were there to say goodbye, crying out. I was so numb, I couldn't even understand what they were saying. I thought it, I was in a different reality. I moved away to another room, waiting them to leave. My boss was in the room and looked at me and asked, Do you want a shot of whiskey? It helped us stay focused and serious. I'd eat, I didn't even think twice. I drank it in one gulp. In fact, I couldn't even respond because if I did, I would might start crying. And to make sure I could do the job professionally, I drank two more shots. Since that day, until the end of my career in the morgue, we, me, Andre and two other colleagues, we got together and drank for two or three shots of whiskey. Helps to be concentrated, we used to say. From that day on, each of us brought a bottle of whiskey to work in a bag. But this raised a problem for me. Where could I leave the bottles? The empty ones, we couldn't throw it in a normal trash, otherwise they would discover that we had been drinking and by the end of the day we could have be stay on serious problems. We couldn't leave also the ones that we are used in the drawer because the cleaning staff could see them and noticed. Until Andre had a solution. Left the bottles inside the coffins, along with the dead body. The empty ones would hide underneath the corpse and go bury with them. We also left those that were being used in the drawer with the dead. The drink was always fresh and no one could suspect. When family members showed up and wanted to see their loved ones, I asked them to wait outside. Went to the drawer and took, took off the bottles to another drawer. The same happened when they wanted to see their loved ones in the coffin. We temporarily put it in the boss drawer. Once in a single coffin, there were around five empty bottles of whiskey, which were sent along with the coffin to be cremated or buried. We left them separated from each other to avoid clashing between them and thus not being caught in the act of committing a crime. Every day of the week, right before work, after lunch, and finally at the end of the day, until I was 42 years old, we drank whiskey to keep the crying from coming out. This habit of drinking became so addictive and so dependent that th there were days when I drank before going to bed just to make sure I could sleep. Of course, the nights weren't as good as should be, with frequently nightmares of what I saw in front of me every single day. There was one night that before going to bed, I went to take a shower. I remember that one that day, a woman appeared, a victim of domestic violence, 
with mutilations all over her body, with a strong blow to her head. As this was not enough, the children came to the morgue to say goodbye to her dear mother. To this day, I still can't put in, into words my feelings at that time. That night, I took a bottle with me to the bathroom. That I bought it when I got home. I remember starting to drink, but then I just remember waking up next morning in the bathtub completely naked with cold. Good thinking it was Saturday and I didn't work that day. During the period I worked at the morgue, I was never able to maintain a romantic relationship. After a while they couldn't take it anymore and told me to go for a walk. But I didn't care because what was important at the end of the day was my bottle of whiskey, my true lover. I was ending at high speed towards an abyss until that day came. One day, like many others, I was dressing a middle-aged man in the coffin. The only difference is that that day I had drunk too much and oh boy, I was really drunk. My luck until that day was that I pretended so well that no one noticed I was drunk. I managed to control myself so well that I spoke like a person who was sober. If the police stopped me and forced me to walk in a straight line, just like in the movies, I walked and the police didn't even notice that how drunk I was. The only thing that could give me away was my breath, but even though I had an ally, one no, several allies, chewing gums. So that day I was dressing that man and I don't know what went through my head and I tried to climb into the coffin. This is because the man was dressing was a very big guy and heavy guy. I couldn't get the shirt into his arms. I went up to the coffin, I placed myself on top of it, I lifted his arm, which was uh, quite heavy, I started to put the sleeve on his arm and suddenly the coffin broke and fell to the ground along with the dead man on top of me. It made so much noise when I fell all, all my colleagues came to me and see what what happened. But the worst part was around the corner, also caught the attention of a doctor belonging to the board of directors, was passing by, and upon hearing the noise, he went to see the reason for such a bang. He saw me lying on the floor with the coffin and the dead body on top of me. But what caught his attention were four empty bottles slowly coming out of the cut of the coffin. I had some empty ones at home, and that's why I decided to put them in this coffin. An investigation was open, and the result of our dismissal from service. After 32 years of service, and after drinking a lot of whiskey, I went home empty-handed. 42 years old, with no family, alcoholic. All the money I made up until then went to eat something and drink. Thank God I was living in my parents' house. If it wasn't, I was sleeping on the streets. Where would I find another job at this age? The only thing I knew was dress or clean a dead body, nothing else. I didn't even know how to clean the house because I lived in a shithole. That day I drank almost two bottles of whiskey. 
I drank so much that once again I fell asleep on the floor. When I woke up, I started crying compulsively. I cried so much, I cried the sorrows of when I was a child, young, and when I saw all the dead in front of me. Men don't cry, that's what came into my head, so I could stop. But the shit was so bad that it was impossible to stop. It was the same as a river on a rainy day, irritated by a current of water so strong that eats everything that comes its way. That was the current that my tears had. I was feeling miserable with a huge emptiness in my chest, to which I thought about talking pills to kill myself. But even that I failed because there was no a lot of and a lot of alcohol in my house, not pills. I stay inside the house without going anywhere, lying on the floor, without taking a shower until, until urine and shit comes inside of my pants and watching through my eyes all or almost episodes of my life. I was completely numb. I suddenly f I felt sleep and a dream episode for when I was 15 years old, one night in August, dating one of my neighbors who happened to be the prettiest girl in my neighborhood. The happiness I felt at that moment, the sweetness in which I lived my life at that time, what that girl brought into my life at that moment and what I would never feel that sweetness of for life again. Summon suddenly came to me that girl, the dead girl, who was the first one that I, was, I dressed 20 years ago. She was dressed with the same red dress which I put it in on that day, with the blonde hair and the blue eyes crying saying to me, don't you want to try again? Don't you want to be happy again? I would love to be alive again, but I can't because I died after being run over by a car. Every day I see my parents crying with despair due to my early death. They will never have to me near again on earth. And you? You have everything. You need to turn around. And are you going to surrender to your fate? Carlos, don't give up. There are a lot of people who need you. I suddenly woke up. I opened my eyes as I had fell asleep on the floor, which smelled very bad. A mix of alcohol and swear inside of my house. I had several empty bottles around me, clearly showing that I spent a lot of time drinking, which I didn't remember. The only thing I remember was the little girl's voice and what she said to me in my dream. Am I dead? No, I can move my fingers and also my legs, so I'm not dead. Okay, great. So, should I continue like this and then end up dead on the street as a bum? Should I continue feeling sorry of myself or should I lift up and try to find any solution to my life? I lived 42 years and what I take out of my life? Nothing. And I hate that. Wasted all that time of my life. I don't know, but I got up, went to the bathroom and took a hot shower. I spent a lot of time out there as if I wanted to clean out all the crap that was stuck inside me. After bathing, I decided to clean the house and make it look dignified, the same way I wanted to look from this day. Last step of the day, I left house, 
took the bus and went to the alcoholism treatment center in my city. I needed help and alone I couldn't do it. Joseph Campbell book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces. It describes the hero's journey, where the hero is called to an overwhelming adventure and inevitably goes through one very big failure in his life. One that tests his strength and resilience to get up, return and fight with intelligence. If he does so, he goes through a phrase that Joseph calls metamorphosis. As he does not give up and moves forward, life itself takes care of giving a supreme gift which is nothing more than knowledge on how to be successful and which was acquired throughout his life path. In the book I mentioned at the beginning about habits, Charles Duhigg says that if we re really want to change, we need to choose healthy habits to that make us have a healthier and better life. He even tells us to write down three worst habits. After these three ones, we choose the worst one and break it. When you can implement it in your life, it will gradually become more and more beautiful and successful. Carlos is a hero, underwent alcohol treatment at the center. He had the courage to share all this darkest episode with others, he had the courage to admit his weakness, and above all, he finally recognized that we are all human beings at the end of the day. He stopped drinking since 2014. He works in a public library, he works in a public library and, uh, and goes to schools to educate small kids about their emotions and how they can manage them. He liked to call his service as Man Do Cry and is okay. It's such a successful program at that, in that city that the other schools invite him to talk about his journey and how he found out how to handle his emotions. In one of those schools he found out a woman who is now his wife. His wife is also a brave one human being like him and also like him, a true hero. As you can see, you don't need money to make a difference in your community, as I told you last week. Like the Shepherd David, you only, you only need the courage and will to transform this planet into the better one. Carlos is doing.